0: we invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew 9 and we want to glorify God's name through our study and examination of the scriptures at this time. Matthew 9 let's begin by reading the text at verse 1 getting into a boat Jesus crossed over the sea and came to his own city. And they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, Take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes said to themselves, This fellow blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he got up and went home. But when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and glorified God who had given such authority to men. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in a tax collector's booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. Desire compassion and... And not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Then the disciples of John came to him, asking, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, The attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. But no one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and a worse tear results. Nor do people put new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wineskins burst, and the wine pours out, and the wineskins are are ruined. But they put new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved you will benefit greatly from reading and reflecting on these parallel passages. Most of our lesson today will be concentrated on what we're reading right here in Matthew 9, verses 1 through 17. But we will occasionally make allusions to these other parallel passages. Matthew's account of the miracle in verses 1 through 8 is the most abbreviated of all the Synoptic Gospels. And here Mark adds some interesting details at the very beginning. It tells us the room where Jesus was teaching in Capernaum was full The room was full. There was no way to get to him via the door. But there are four men who have brought their friend to Jesus. Now, the text here in Matthew simply says they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. But Mark tells us there were four of them. And the four of them see that it was impossible to enter through the door, were unwilling to give up. Because they recognized that Jesus had the ability to make this man well. And they were so determined to get to Jesus that they go to the roof of the house and they dig through the roof of the house. And they let down their friend in front of Jesus. A remarkable instance. And as this man is let down in front of Jesus, Jesus' words to him are, Take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. Take courage, your sins are forgiven. Now, there's only one other instance that Jesus specifically says, Your sins are forgiven. You remember the woman who was washing Jesus' feet with her tears and drying them with her hair? In Luke chapter 7 verses 47 through 49. And Jesus said to her, your sins which are many are forgiven. That occasion in Luke 7 brought the same response from the crowd that this statement makes. When Jesus says this here in verse 3, the scribes said to themselves, this fellow blasphemes. Now, the reason that they are accusing him of blasphemy is is more fully explained in Mark. They ask, who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, let me ask you a question. Is it true that only God can forgive sins? I am not meaning right now the fact that you may do something that you shouldn't have done, and you tell a person, I'm sorry, and they say, I forgive you. But is God the only one that the absolute sins forgive sin? I have a couple of passages on the projector, one of them is particularly striking. The first of these. In Isaiah 43 and verse 25, the New American Standard says, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. Let me try to illustrate this. Let me try to illustrate this. Something I said before, and I want to say again in a simple way. If we would say in English, I forgive, that is two words. Two words. Now, if you were to say that in Hebrew, you would generally say that in one word. The subject, the verb, all tied together. If in Hebrew, you have a separate personal pronoun, If you have a separate personal pronoun, it is highlighting something to the greatest degree. I forgive. I want you to notice what's remarkable about Isaiah 43 and verse 25. There is not one personal pronoun. At the beginning of that verse there are two the new american standard says i even i if it were literally translated it would say i i am the one who wipes away your transgression it is the lord and no one else who forgives sin So when Jesus says to this man who is paralyzed, who is let down in front of him, unable to walk, maybe unable to move. We don't know to what extent he was paralyzed. But Jesus said, my son, your sins are forgiven. And they say, he's blessed. Who can forgive sins but God alone? That's not an incorrect thought. And in a sense, this man's healing is kind of secondary. What is primary is illustrating that Jesus can forgive. Did you notice how frequently it is referred to? In verse 2, take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. And by the way, it's hard for us to realize That a paralyzed person's greatest need is forgiveness. But Jesus says, take courage, my son, your sins are forgiven. In verse 5, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. In verse 6, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, get up, pick up your bed, and go home. Now, over and over on this text, you see an emphasis on Jesus' ability to forgive sins. In a certain sense, the miracle takes second place to the emphasis on Jesus' forgiving. Let me ask you another question. Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk now I want to tell you if we went around this room and we asked every one of you individually to give the answer to that we would get every conceivable answer we would get every conceivable answer because I've tried that I've tried that and I'll be honest with you. Different points in my life, I would have given every conceivable answer. What I used to emphasize is that only God can heal the paralyzed. And only God can forgive sins. It takes God to do either of those, doesn't Psalm 103, God heals all our diseases and forgives all our transgressions. It takes God to do either of those. But I want to tell you, I'm starting to rethink that. Because he doesn't say, which of these is easier to do, does he? Look at verse 5. He said, which of these is easier to say? Could it be? That he is saying, I know there's no way that you can test my ability to forgive sins. But if I can do what only God can do and tell this man to get up and take his bed and go home and he can do it, it is proof of the other. That can demonstrate I have the power to forgive sins. Maybe that was the answer that he intended. But the point is, one is proof of the other. And Jesus said, get up, take up your bed, and go home. And the Bible says, he did it. And the crowds are all struck. That word can indicate fear. And that word can indicate awe. They were awestruck. They glorified God. Glorify your name. They glorified God who had given such authority to men. Now, let me ask you what conclusion do you draw from this? If it is true, as Isaiah 43, 25 asserts, that only God can forgive sins, if, if that's correct, only God can forgive sins. But Jesus said, to show you I have the power to forgive sins, I'm going to say to this paralyzed man, get up and take up your bed and go home, and instantly he does it. What other conclusion can you draw? But that he is God. This isn't the only indication of this in the context. In verse 12, Jesus says it's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus is, in a sense, the doctor. But God's saying in Exodus 15-26, I am the Lord who heals your diseases. And in verse 15, in verse 15, he says, The attendants cannot mourn while the bridegroom is with them, can they? Remember the picture that's painted of God as a husband of the people in the Old Testament. You see this in Isaiah 62 and verse 5. In Hosea 2 beginning with verse 16. The point is, all these images are showing us who He is. He is more than just a man. He is God come in the flesh. And sometimes. Sometimes God does some pretty remarkable things and calls remarkable people. In verse 9, the Bible says Jesus went out from there. He called Matthew and Jesus said, follow me. Now, Matthew was a tax collector and Jesus calls him and says, follow me. As we stated last week, it was typical for Jewish learners to go to their teacher and ask can I follow you like the man did in Matthew 8 in verses 18 through 20 but in the Bible Jesus calls his disciples how many great steps in the plan of salvation has man initiated is God initiated God is picking out the disciples God is saying to Matthew follow me Luke's account says here in Luke 5, 27 and 28, he left everything and followed Jesus. When Peter and John, Peter, Andrew, James and John left their fishing nets and followed Jesus, they could probably go back and fish again. Luke walks off this, Matthew walks off this job, he's not getting it again. What do you know about tax collectors? Tax collectors weren't viewed too nicely by the Jewish people because they sided with the Romans against them. They were taking up taxes for the Romans and for all associated with them. And also, they were not always so honest. Do you remember when tax collectors came to Jesus in Luke 3, verses 12 and 13, and said in that passage, what should we do? They come to John, excuse me, in Luke 3, verses 12 and 13. What should we do? And John says, take no more wages. Take no more taxes than what the people owe. Zacchaeus said, Lord, here and now I give my possessions to the poor. Half of my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anyone of anything, I pay him back four times the amount. Tax collectors were often guilty of greed and they were not respected by the people. Jesus is criticized in Matthew 11 verse 19 because he's eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. In Luke 15 verses 1 and 2 the setting that gives birth to the par- parable of the prodigal son the bible tells us the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to jesus to listen to him and some were complaining that he receives tax collectors and sinners isn't it amazing who is attracted to jesus And who opposes him? It was amazing in the Bible. It's still amazing today. And what you find. Is a synagogue official. In Matthew 9.18. Who's attracted to him. In verse 27. Two blind men. Attracted to him. And here tax collectors. And sinners. It's amazing who's attracted to Jesus. It is amazing who opposes him. The scribes said in verse 3, this fellow is blaspheming. The Pharisees say in verse 11, why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? And by the way, I, I want to stress too that Jesus was aware of the sins of tax collectors and sinners. It's not like Jesus says you misunderstood these guys. Jesus knows who they are. And He told us to love our enemies. Because if we don't love our enemies, we're no better than tax collectors and Gentiles. And the Bible says when you have talked to a person and you confront him about his sin and you take two or three others and then you tell it to the church and he doesn't listen to any of these means to draw him back to you, then the Bible says he is to be regarded as a tax collector. And a Gentile in Matthew 18 in verse 17. Jesus knew, Jesus knew what they are. He is not saying they've been misunderstood. But Jesus is saying that he can heal them. And Jesus is saying that sometimes it's the outcasts It is the broken. It is these who turn and look for mercy. And that's the case with the tax collectors and sinners. The scribes and Pharisees thought they have arrived. If you think you have arrived, you're not looking for help. If you recognize your need for help, you are trying to learn. You're trying to grow. You're trying to take that in. And the Bible tells us, there's Jesus, as Matthew follows Jesus, not only does he follow Jesus, but he has a big party in his house where he invites other tax collectors and sinners to come in verse, verse 10. And then the Pharisees ask him, why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? They are amazed at Jesus' startling dinner companions. And Jesus says, it's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. Let's suppose you're feeling bad. And it goes on for a couple of more days and you say, don't like to do this, but I'm going to go to the doctor. I'm going to call the doctor and you call your doctor. The doctor says, what, what, Wait." wait you're feeling bad, don't come in here. I only deal with well people. Well, how long is that doctor going to remain in business? The very point of a doctor is to help those who are sick. It's not that the tax collectors and sinners were really misunderstood. They were a lot better than the Pharisees and scribes. No. It was the tax collectors and sinners knew who they were. And the scribes and Pharisees didn't. I want to tell you people, the people who divide churches, aren't those we view as weak? And aren't those who view themselves as weak? They're the ones that say, I've arrived." Those are the ones that divide churches. And those are the ones that don't think They need help. And Jesus said, It's the sick. It's the the physician's job to attend to the sick, not to the well. And he says, Go and learn what this means. Now, that phrase in itself is striking. Go and learn what this means. That was used in rabbinic literature. Go and learn. Showing that the person needed to come to a better understanding. Jesus uses that to these Pharisees. And he says, you go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. Now if you look at the context of those verses on the board, what those verses deal with is people who were bringing their sacrifices, but ignoring basic principles of righteousness and justice and treating one another responsibly. Hosea 6 verse 6 fits into this this genre of passages that deal with the fact that people were bringing their sacrifices but not surrendering their heart to God. It is not, the emphasis in Matthew 9 is not on sacrifice. The emphasis though is they were so concerned about ritual purity they did not want to get their clothes dirty in dealing with sinners. Now I want to ask you something. How are we practicing that? And I want you to know that sometimes it is hard to keep the Bible in balance and practice it. It is hard to keep the Bible in balance. What do I mean?
1: Blessed is the
0: man that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way with sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in that law he meditates day and night the Bible says in Proverbs 14, 7, go from the presence of an evil man when you do not desert in him the words of truth. The Bible says evil communication corrupts good morals in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. The Bible warns against evil companionship. Yet the same Bible that warns us against evil companionship emphasizes that we go out into a lost world where people are sick and we're trying to point them to the, real, to the great physician. We're trying to point them to the healer of their souls. How do you balance that? I want to tell you, it's not easy. Young people, your parents are right to be concerned about who you associate with and who you are closest to because they know it has a profound influence on who you are. So there's reason to be concerned about those things. But we also must recognize that we are the light in a dark world because we are reflecting His light. And we must seek to go into this world and to win people for Him. When was the last time you ate with a non-Christian for the express purpose of trying to communicate your faith. When was the last time you went with tax collectors and sinners in order to point them to the great Physician? There are all kinds of methods of evangelism. Some people, a cold contact. We try to make those. There are other people that may be our neighbors and our friends that we may have relationships with that are closer that we may seek to build. We may seek to influence in slower ways. But we're always trying to be looking for ways to point people to the light. I think our Savior's example shows us not only that he can forgive sins. He can say to this man, your sins are forgiven. But he is going to the lost sheep and trying to seek them. May God help us to imitate his example. I want to say that everything in this gospel keeps pointing to the climax of the gospel. What I mean by that, in verse 3... These scribes say in their hearts, this fellow blasphemes. This fellow blasphemes. That charge is going to be made in Matthew 26 and verses 65 and 66. It's going to be made and it will lead to the cross. They will say, this fellow blasphemes. What further need do we have of witnesses? In verse 15, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them. But the day will come when the bridegroom is taken away. And that word sometimes is used of a violent taking away. Jesus is going to die. And Jesus... Is going to be raised. Jesus said to this man with paralyzed man in verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, he said, Get up. And that word that he used, get up, is the same word that's used in this gospel to say that he would be raised. It is because he died and he rose that he can forgive. And he calls us to go out into our lost world and seek to win them for him. May he bless us and may we glorify him in such efforts. Let us pray. Oh Lord our God, we are... In awe of the things you've revealed to us, in what you have showed us through your word. May we stand in awe of you. We are thankful that you can forgive our sins. We're thankful because. We know we need your help. We pray that we might be transformed by your power. But that we may always be ones like we saw in this text. Who know we need your help. Give us wisdom that we might know where to draw lines when others seek to win us to sin. But to have a heart of compassion as we seek to draw them to you. Help us to find that balance. In the midst of our confused world. Hold us in your hand. And bring us home to glory. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Friend, we. We point you to this one who can forgive sinners. And when people criticize him for eating with those who are too scandalous. He didn't stop doing it. He kept on reaching out to these people. And I think that's a picture of how he keeps reaching out to each of us. He keeps reaching out to each of us. To bring us to acknowledgement of our sins. In our guilt. So that we would throw ourselves in dependence upon Him. Jesus came to call the righteous. not not, Not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Luke 5 verse 32. If we can call you to repentance. If you want to repent. To be baptized in Christ. We invite you to come. As we stand and as we sing.